Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Brookside. I know we've said that a couple times, but we want to keep saying it to all of you. Uh, this morning, we start a new series that we're calling Within Reach. And I'm really excited for this series because over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to be drilling into the thing that we want to be known for here at Brookside. We're going to be drilling very specifically into just spotlighting Jesus again and again and again. So, so certainly we do that every week, but, but with this Within Reach series, we're going to be drilling very specifically into the, in the Gospels, excuse me, where we're going to be looking at, at stories and teachings from Jesus that help us see that because of him and what he's done for us, the most important things in life are within reach. Th- things like transformed relationships. Things like someone you can turn to, the best person you can turn to when when, when life goes south. Things like true hope and eternal life. All of these things are true, are are within reach because of Jesus. And so so really this next four-week series is kind of like following Jesus one-on-one. And so, so if, you're, if you're new to Christianity, if you're, if you're seeking and you would identify that way, then these next four weeks are great for you. And then for the rest of us, we never want to get too far away from just reminding ourselves who Jesus is, what he's done, and what following him, the difference that can make means for our lives. And then another reason I love this series is because, because it's something that dozens of churches in the Omaha area are stacking hands on together. So there's about 40 different churches around Omaha that over the course of this time leading up to Easter, we are stacking hands on just saying, well, we're going to keep preaching sermons that make much of Jesus and giving people lots of opportunities to learn more about who Jesus is. And the things that, you, that, that unite us as churches because of the gospel, these things are so much bigger and better than any of the things that make us different as churches. And so you can find out a lot more about this Within Reach movement at withinreach.church. encourage you to check that out sometime this week. And so as one demonstration of that unity that we want to be fostering and showing with other churches, we just want to take some time throughout the series to, to pray for other churches in Omaha. And so this morning, before we jump into Mark 5, which is where we're going this morning, let, let's take some time and pray for Morningstar Baptist Church together near 20th and Lake. So let's pray. Jesus, we we thank you that you promised to build your church. And Jesus, we thank you for all of the ways you're doing that in and through churches in Omaha. Jesus, we pray this morning specifically for Morningstar Baptist. Jesus, and we pray uh, for for Leroy and for all of the the volunteers and and leaders and the the whole congregation there, Jesus, that you would encourage their hearts, Jesus, that, 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 you would, that you would just continue to drill more deeply into their hearts the importance of this mission you've called all of your churches to, to helping create disciples who know you well, Jesus, and who make you known in Omaha. So Jesus, encourage Leroy and, and all those around him, and, and may their ministry be fueled by rich times in, in your word, Jesus, and, and by just this, this driving desire to advance your mission and make your name great in Omaha. And now, Jesus, as we look at your word, as we look at the Bible, we ask that you would open our hearts so that we would see wonderful things in your word and that you would incline our hearts to its truth. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, one of the most desperate situations, probably the most desperate situation I have ever been in the middle of, happened almost three years ago. It was Memorial Day weekend. We were out at my wife's parents' farm. They've got some property near Kearney. 
Um, and so we were out there for the weekend with some friends, and it was one of the last nights we were there before we were going to be traveling back to Omaha. And so, so we're getting this kind of campfire together because we're going to grill hot dogs or something like that over the fire on, on this night. And, and I just remember we were kind of getting that fire all put together when suddenly uh, one of the friends we were there with comes speeding up to me on the four-wheeler in Karsten. Our oldest son is, is on the four-wheeler behind him. And, and you can just tell when you see certain people's faces that something is up. And, and something was up when our friend in Karsten sped up to us. And then the first words out of our friend's mouth were, were Tim, you need to get Karsten to the hospital now. You see, you see, what had happened is Karsten and his friend were, were driving around the property in a go-kart. They sit on about eight acres, so lots of room for boys to be boys and drive around, stuff like that. And, and they, they, they'd not seen this piece of farm equipment that was sitting in a field. And so, so they'd run into it at full speed on this go-kart. And Karsten had gotten impaled in his abdomen with three deep punctures kind of all the way through his abdomen uh, on this piece of farm equipment. And so, so I've been in lots of hospital rooms, right? I, I've seen lots of people who are sick. I, I've never seen anyone so drained of, of color as Karsten was. And so, so as a dad, you snap right to it, right? We, we put Carson in the van. We start racing down Highway 30 towards Kearney, the nearest hospital. I, I'm still proud of our minivan to this day. We got up over 100 miles an hour. <laughs> Kids, don't do this at home, right? But, but I still want to paint like racing stripes or flames on the side of our minivan just because of that. But, but, but so we, we abandon any protocol, right? Just because we're, we're needing to get to the hospital. And when we get there, they run some initial tests on Karsten, and, and we learn that certainly there's internal bleeding. He'd punctured a lung. He'd broken a rib or two. And then, and then he'd lacerated his liver. And, and so, so that was the sort of thing they really wanted some specialists in Omaha to take care of. So, so they lifelighted Karsten from Kearney to Children's Hospital in Omaha, where he was worked on here and then kept under observation for a while because the doctors just could not guarantee what was going on inside of Karsten internally, right? Especially what was happening with his liver. So, so it was touch and go for a few days. And now, now certainly three years later, we, we look back on that story and it ended up well for us. I mean, slowly but surely, we got the good news that, that Karsten's liver was doing what livers can do, right? And just start to revive itself and regenerate itself. And it's great how God made us that way. And then, and then after about eight or 10 weeks, Karsten had finally made a full recovery after that. But, but I still remember that drive that, that I had back from Kearney to Children's Hospital that night. Carrie had gone with Karsten in the helicopter. We'd left our other three boys with Carrie's parents on the farm, so it's just me. I, I have no idea what I'm going to find out when I get back to Children's. It's midnight, one o'clock in the morning, and I just remember feeling so helpless. Because as a dad, you want to snap your fingers and fix the situation. As a dad, you want to say, okay, okay, here's how we manage this, right? Here's step one, step two, step three. And there was nothing I could do in that situation to control. It was completely out of my hands. I, I felt so desperate. And we can all relate to this, right? I mean, you have your own situations where you've felt desperate where things have been out of your hands, where you felt so helpless. I mean, maybe it's a period of unemployment where, where you just have zero idea how you're going to make ends meet and stretch, stretch things out for one more month. 
Maybe it's a medical diagnosis that blindsided you. And this diagnosis has changed everything about the way you live life now. Maybe you're a student that's getting ready to head off to college in the fall, and you just got the letter from the college that you had put all of your eggs in the basket of that school, and either the financial aid isn't enough, or they didn't accept you, but now this college that was the only thing that you'd set your sights on isn't an option, and there is just no good plan B. So you're scrambling because the future next year, this fall, is completely uncertain. Or maybe there's also this quiet desperation, right? Or somebody would look on, on the outside of your life and they would say, she's got it all together. Or, or, or he's got it all together. And externally, you do. But, but inside, you know you don't. You lie awake at night and, and there's just this feeling of emptiness, of dissatisfaction, Maybe you're tied up in knots because of sin that you know you've never dealt with. Well, today in Mark 5, we're going to see two people in the midst of desperate situations. And we're going to see them turn to Jesus. You, you see, somehow, for some reason, we're going to see they're drawn to Jesus. And, and so they sense what I want us to see this morning. That we can turn to Jesus, we can depend on Jesus, even in the midst of our most desperate situations. And so right up front, let's be clear as I say that. That that doesn't mean that our desperate situations resolve themselves quickly, neatly, and easily. Right? But that doesn't mean at all that we still don't turn to Jesus in the midst of those desperate situations. Right, because, because if we can just own this statement to depend on Jesus in the midst of our most desperate situations, the difference that it makes is that our focus isn't just on the desperate situation. The, the difference this makes is that it includes Jesus, all of his goodness, all of his power in the midst of how we, of how we navigate the desperate situations that every one of us here can relate to. You see, see my goal this morning by the time we're done, I want you to have a better understanding of Jesus, his goodness, his power, his compassion. So that way, so that way we, look at this, we look at this sentence, we say, yes, that is absolutely the best thing to do. And, and then this sentence probably isn't even strong enough, right? Because depending on Jesus just doesn't have enough punch to what I'm trying to communicate. We, we run to Jesus in the midst of our most desperate situations. He, he's the only person we can fully and truly depend on in the midst of our most desperate situations. That's what we're going to see this morning as we see Jesus respond to these two desperate situations that come right face to face with him. And so let's get into Mark 5. We're, we're going to take this story in sections this morning. We're going to work through a little bit over 20 verses all told, but I'm going to read through a little bit, explain it, and then, and then slowly over the course of the morning, we're just going to accumulate this growing number of takeaways, what we learn about, about who Jesus is, about, about why and how we can run to Jesus, even in the midst of our most desperate situations. So let me start reading in Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, so, so now he's in this town called Capernaum, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake because Jesus 
always drew crowds. They were fascinated by him. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she'll be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And then in verse 25, we, we, we meet another major player in the passage. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And she had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So, so here we have our two desperate situations. Jairus is a successful and respected man. He's in a position of responsibility, one of the synagogue leaders in Capernaum. But, but this success and this position, they do nothing to protect him from getting steamrolled by tragedy. His young, his young daughter, we, we learn a little bit later on in the passage that she's, that she's 12 years old. And, and we know from the Gospel of Luke that tells the same story. We know that this 12-year-old daughter is his only daughter. His daughter is dying. We, we don't know what the diagnosis is exactly, but this is life and death urgent. And so this desperate situation, it leads Jairus to, to break protocol. And, and he, he comes to Jesus. If you've spent much time in the Gospels, you know that Jewish leaders don't often come to Jesus asking him questions where they need his help. Right? There's more confrontation. The, 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 the religious leaders don't always like Jesus in the Gospels. But this religious leader comes to Jesus and falls at his feet. In, in, in the first century, Jairus, as a synagogue leader, would have been higher on the social, cultural ladder than Jesus was. So, so here's this man, here's this man of responsibility, falling down at Jesus' feet, saying, Jesus, you've got to come. It's a bold move. And it shows us exactly how desperate Jairus' situation is. And then we also meet this unnamed woman who's been subject to bleeding for 12 years. I mean, 12 years. I mean, for us, just think back to 2006, 12 years ago. Just to give you a reference point for all you gamers out there, that's when the, that's when the Nintendo Wii came out. Uh, if you're a 24 fan, Jack Bauer was still saving the world one hour at a time tw 12 years ago. Uh, the, the planet Pluto had been voted off the island and had been downgraded to a dwarf planet. And, and Bill Callahan was still the head coach of the Huskers. But so 12 years ago, it's a long time. I, I mean, rewind to then and then fast forward today and just imagine struggling with something every day. Just this chronic disease that never went away. 12 years is a long time to be dealing with this. The, this woman's bleeding issue would have been uncomfortable physically, would have isolated her socially. She, she couldn't have children, so she probably isn't married. And then ceremonially, she's unclean, so she can't worship alongside of others. She, she couldn't even touch others. And then it had drained her financially. We, we read that she spent every dime she had on doctor's visit after doctor's visit after doctor's visit. And then, and, th and then at the end of all of these doctor's visits, all of their suggested prescriptions, 
we learn that instead of getting better, she actually gets worse. So, so, so I think, read through the Gospels. We, we would be hard-pressed to find somebody who is suffering like this woman in, in as many deep, chronic, all-encompassing ways. She's desperate. So the big takeaway from these two situations is that you can turn to Jesus in your most desperate situations. Now, now, now that sounds like what I'm supposed to say as the pastor, right? I mean, because this is the obvious one. Of course, Tim, we're in church. That's what we need to hear. That's what we're supposed to hear. But just because it's obvious doesn't mean we do it. Just because it's like, yep, that makes sense doesn't mean we do it. Because I think we can, we can nod our head in affirmation to this so easily, but in reality, when everything turns, turns south, this isn't what we do. We don't turn to Jesus like we see Jairus and this woman turning to Jesus. You see, you may feel like Jairus. You're respectable. You're the one who others come to. You're the one who has it all put together. And so in your desperate situations, you, you don't do this. You don't turn to Jesus. You, you just tend to, to try to manage it, right? Here's the three steps we need to take to fix this. And you do it entirely in your own strength and power. If this is you, learn from Jairus that the wisest, best thing you can do is turn to Jesus in your desperate situations. Or maybe you feel like the woman abandoned and beyond help. And, and your temptation is just to say, I've, I've tried everything. I'm not going to go to one more person. I'm just going to get disappointed again if I do that. You're tempted to give in and give up. Learn from this woman in Mark 5. Turn to Jesus in your most desperate situations. And then before I move on, let me just make it clear that, that without Jesus, every one of us here is Jairus or this unnamed woman. You see, we are all desperate without Jesus because we are all sinners separated from God. And by ourselves, we can do nothing to save ourselves. We need Jesus. That's how desperate we all are. But how does Jesus respond when we turn to him in our desperate situations? I mean, if, if turning to him is what we do, what does Jesus do? And for some of you, this is the question, this is the obstacle that always has you getting caught up, right? Because you want to come to Jesus maybe, but, but you don't because you're so afraid that he's going to jump all over you. You're so afraid that you don't measure up. And because of that, Jesus is just going to say, man, what are you thinking, Tim? You're afraid that Jesus is going to make you feel this small because of your situation. Well, as we keep reading, we learn so much about how Jesus responds to these two situations. So much that we don't want to miss. Especially how he responds to this unnamed woman. Because that's really the centerpiece of this whole story. So let me keep reading. We'll pick it back up in verse 27. And so, so when this woman, this woman who had been suffering for so long, 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. And immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask who touched me? They're like, Jesus, you're in a crowd. Everybody is touching you. You know, just kind of jostling back and forth. But verse 32 says, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. You, you get the sense that there's this uncomfortably long silence. While Jesus is waiting for this woman to come forward. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. And she told Jesus the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The more time I've been swimming in this interaction between Jesus and this woman in Mark 5 this week, because I've been looking forward to this morning, that the more I'm just blown away at everything we learn about Jesus here in this story. Everything we learn about this woman and what she would have been thinking. I mean, just, just think about her. She, she's embarrassed. She's ashamed. She's isolated. She, she's trying to blend into the crowd as invisibly as possible. Because she's not supposed to be in crowds of people. And at the same time, she's trying to just get within arm's length of Jesus so she can just touch his cloak. Imagine what would have been running through her mind. All of the dashed hopes of failed doctor's visit after failed doctor's visit. But, but, but somehow inside of her, she's got this belief. We don't know how firm or how feeble it is, but she's got this belief that I'm going to fight my way through this crowd so I can just touch Jesus. Check out this picture that John Alfred showed me earlier this week. This is at the Magdala Chapel in, in Israel. It's painted on a huge wall there. This picture is such a great visualization of the story in Mark 5, right? Where, where you see all the feet around Jesus. The, the, the crowd just, just pressed up tight against him. And, and then in the midst of this, there's, there's just this discreet but, but desperate just hand just reaching out. If I can just touch Jesus, I'll be healed. And then when this woman does touch Jesus, she is healed. Problem is fixed. And if you think about it, this storyline in Mark 5, it could have stopped right there. Right? I mean, the woman gets healed and fades back into the crowd, back into the background, which is exactly where she wants to be. And Jesus goes on his way, because remember, they're rushing to Jairus' house. Jesus goes on his way, and in the back of his mind, he's like, yes, she was just healed. And nobody else would have known about it. But the story doesn't stop there. The story doesn't stop with the healing, because there's more about how Jesus responds to this woman's desperate situation that we need to see. And so despite the urgency of his mission to Jairus' daughter, Jesus stops. Jesus turns and he asks, who touched me? This isn't for Jesus' benefit. I mean, he's God. He knows who touched him. 
Jesus asked this question for the woman. You see, this woman who has been isolated for so long, who, who has been trying her best to stay hidden for so long, this woman is invited to be at the center of Jesus' attention. And then she comes forward. She, she's trembling with fear, right? I mean, you can, just, you can just visualize that. I mean, surely that's a lot of social anxiety. She's not used to being around people. She hasn't been for at least 12 years. There's the shame that's wrapped up into that. There's the uncertainty about how is Jesus going to respond? But even in fear, she comes forward and she goes public. She tells Jesus the whole truth. You see, the thing we can't miss here is that this woman, she wanted a miracle. But Jesus wanted a meeting. This woman wanted a power encounter. But Jesus wanted a relationship, a personal relationship. For, for this woman, that this miracle, her healing, was the farthest ahead she could see. This healing was an end in itself. But for Jesus, the healing wasn't the end. For, for Jesus, the healing was just a means to a much bigger and better and greater end. That this invitation to relationship... And in verse 34, we see Jesus' response to the woman. This trembling woman comes forward. She tells Jesus everything. And Jesus shows compassion. He says, daughter. That, that word daughter is the only time in the Gospels Jesus addresses a woman that way. We never know her name in the story. She's always the unnamed woman. And Jesus calls her daughter. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. I mean, just think how freeing that would have been. She'd been trapped in suffering for over a decade. And now Jesus says, go in peace, wholeness. Be freed from your suffering. Brookside, this is who Jesus is. His presence is healing. He invites us into relationship with him. And then when we come to him in faith, he doesn't jump all over you. When you come to him in faith, he shows compassion. So let's boil all this down into another takeaway. As we take a step of faith toward Jesus, Jesus shows compassion. And he invites us into our relationship with him. As we come with faith in Jesus. To him, he shows compassion. There's a smile on his face. There's care in his voice. And he invites us into relationship with him. Mark 5.35, let's keep reading. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. Remember, that's the, that's the story we're in the middle of. Jesus on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. They come from the house of Jairus and they say, your daughter is dead. So while Jesus slows down in the midst of this very time-sensitive situation, while Jesus stops, I mean, I, I can only imagine what Jairus is thinking. He's like, Jesus, remember my daughter. 
Jesus, we have to hurry. And then they get news that his daughter is dead. And if you were there, just picture it. You wonder what, what Jairus did physically. You know, just head down, shoulders slumped, maybe just crumpled to the ground, face in his hands. Because now the this, this situation that was, was desperate is now a situation of defeat. Because nothing can rescue her from death. And so the people that came from Jairus' house, they ask, why bother the teacher anymore? And then Jesus, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, right? So, so now Jesus turns from this one-on-one -on -one with this woman that he'd been talking with. He has a one-on-one -on -one with Jairus. Jesus turns to him, looks him straight in the eye, and he says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, now this word believe is from the same Greek root as the word for faith. And, and so, the, so this word, this, this phrase could just as accurately be translated, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. And, and 30 seconds before that, Jesus had just told this woman who'd been healed, he said, your faith has healed you. Jairus heard that. He heard about the power that faith has. Faith in Jesus because of who Jesus is and what Jesus can do. So Jesus is like, Jairus, did you hear what I just said to this woman? Just 30 seconds ago. Jairus, I, I told her her faith had healed her. Jairus, don't be afraid. Only have faith. Faith in me, faith in Jesus. And then the story keeps going. Verse 37, we, Jesus didn't let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with, with people crying and wailing loudly. So this is just first century, this is just a, a first century funeral scene. It's very typical, what a been. He went in and, and Jesus said to them, while this commotion and wailing, the child isn't dead but asleep. But they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. And Jesus put them all out. And then he, then he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. And he went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha, kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. It's like what you might say to a young daughter when it's time for her to get out of bed in the morning. That this isn't resurrection language that Jesus is using here. Instead, it's like Jesus is saying, sweetheart, time to get up. I mean, what an example of Jesus' power. The most desperate situation, conceivable death, is dismissed by Jesus as easily as, sweetheart, it's time to get up. That is how powerful Jesus is. Jesus is, most, is more powerful than the most desperate situation. So here are our final two takeaways. Jesus' response to our requests don't always line up with our expectations. 
I mean, this is one lesson from the story that, that we cannot miss. Back to Jairus, waiting on Jesus while Jesus is talking to the woman. I mean, just think how out there crazy that would have seemed to Jairus. Because Jesus is neglecting the urgent healing of his daughter where, where minutes matter. He's neglecting that to, to talk to this woman who'd been dealing with this issue for 12 years. Surely another hour or two wouldn't have made a difference for her. And, and so, so why didn't Jesus just tell her to get in the back of the line after Jairus instead of letting her cut? You see, here, here we need to see that, that as we have faith in Jesus in our most desperate situations, that, that means we allow him the, the freedom to act in bigger or better ways than we're expecting. Ways that would surprise us. Ways that would say, that, that, would, that would make us say, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. If I would have scripted this out, it would have looked very differently than what's happening. But when we come to Jesus in dependence and faith, it means we give him the freedom to say, to say Jesus, I don't get it. That doesn't make sense to me. That's not how I would have done it. But I'm still going to trust in you. And this last takeaway shows us why we do that. Why we can say, even when things don't make sense, I'll trust in you. It's because when we turn to Jesus in faith, no desperate situation ends in defeat. When we turn to Jesus and come to him in faith, no desperate situation ends in defeat. Nothing is more desperate than death. And here in Mark 5, we see that even death doesn't end in defeat. And then fast forward a few more chapters in Mark to the end of the gospel. And you see that even Jesus' own death, his crucifixion, doesn't end in defeat. Because he's raised victorious on the third day. And so because of Jesus and through faith in Jesus, that's how we, we can proclaim confidently that even in the most desperate situations, they don't end in defeat. I mean, not ultimately. Now, certainly we believe that Jesus can and does still heal people in miraculous ways. We've seen that happen in our church family here at Brookside. And so we, we keep praying bold prayers where we, where we ask Jesus to do big things. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't respond the way we've been asking, we still have faith in Jesus. Why? Because ultimately, no desperate situation ends in defeat. So some of you know that I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. Read the books multiple times. There are some movies out for him too. So a lot of you are familiar, right, with the storyline of Lord of the Rings where, where, where the whole storyline is, is there's this ring of power that Frodo and Sam, two of the main characters, are trying to get to Mount Doom to destroy it because they don't want the bad guy to get the ring of power because if he does, it's just going to be not good news, right? But so, so Sam and Frodo finally get to Mount Doom. Spoiler alert coming up. They destroy the ring of power in Mount Doom. So, so desperate situation seems like it's resolved. 
And then, and then in the books, one of the main characters, Sam, asks Gandalf, right? There's this wise wizard figure. Sam just asks Gandalf, after the ring had been destroyed, after victory had been assured, he says, he says Gandalf, is everything sad going to now come untrue? And, and I love the way he asks that. Because he's basically asking the, the, the question we've been asking can my desperate situation, can it resolve into victory? Because of Jesus, we can say yes. Because Jesus has assured us victory. He's died for our sins. He's risen from the, from the dead on the third day. Because of that, the victory is assured. And so we say, we believe and we proclaim, yes, everything's sad one day will come untrue. Yes, we believe that no desperate situation will ultimately end in defeat for all those who follow Jesus. So let's put all of our takeaways up on the screen one more time just so you can see all of those together. So, so the first takeaway we saw is that, is that we can turn to Jesus in our most desperate situations. Seems obvious, but it doesn't make it easy. We still need to be intentional about doing this. Second takeaway was that Jesus shows compassion as we come to him, and he invites us into relationship with him. He offers us true freedom. The third takeaway we saw is that Jesus' response to our requests won't always meet our expectations, but that doesn't mean we stop trusting. Jesus is still good and he's still powerful, and we say that because of our fourth takeaway, because when we turn to Jesus in faith, no desperate situation ends in defeat. Jesus is so good. He's so powerful. And so let's trust in him. Let's run to him. Let's lean wholly on him, even in our most desperate situations. Well, now we wanted to take just a few minutes before we're done this morning to just create some space for us to, to shift gears a little bit, but still with this truth we've been looking out from Mark 5 firmly in our minds, we just want to give you some space to interact with God about what we've been looking at this morning. And so, so now I, I, I would invite you all just to close your eyes. We're going to do this just for a couple minutes, not going to be long. You can, you can do this, right? Close your eyes, and, and we're going to be just approaching this time in a posture of prayer. And the first thing I want to ask you to do, just between yourself and God, between yourself and Jesus, is just to identify one situation you're in the middle of right now that feels desperate. Maybe it's, maybe it's a marriage or, or a family issue with, with children. Maybe it's an issue with a close friend. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's physical. Or, or maybe it's just one of those quiet desperation situations where you just can't put your finger on it, but, but you just know there's sin in your life that you need to deal with. You, you know there's emptiness there that's not filled. Identify that situation, and then I'm just going to give you just a, just a brief period of time just to turn very specifically to Jesus with that situation in mind. And just to yourself, right? You don't need to do this out loud, but just to yourself say, Jesus, I turn to you with this situation.
And then as we turn to Jesus, we've seen so clearly this morning that he responds to us with goodness and compassion. And so, so now I just want to let you bring that truth about Jesus front and center in your mind. Right? You, you've identified the desperate situation. Now let the truth of who Jesus is, his compassion, his goodness, and his power as the Son of God, let that speak to the desperate situation you're in the middle of. And then the last thing I want you to do before Rob and the team lead us in a couple more songs, this last thing is maybe the toughest thing for some of you to do. But, but we've seen that because of Jesus, no desperate situation ends in defeat. Through faith in him, we have victory because of what he's accomplished for us on the cross. And so, so now with your eyes still closed, just, just say thank you to Jesus for, for giving you ultimate victory. Not because of what you do, but because of what he's done for you. So thank Jesus for the confidence we have that he's got it. And now let me pray for all of us. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for this truth, that this story that, that really happened that we've seen in Mark chapter 5. For everything it teaches us about how we can depend on you in our most desperate situations, Jesus. And so Jesus, help us as, as individuals and as a church be a place where we can depend on you. Where, where we know that you'll respond to us with compassion and goodness. And, and then Jesus, we continue just to proclaim the fact that because of what you've done for us on the cross, because the victory is assured, our faith in you as confidence is assured because of what you've done. So Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your power in the gospel. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.